I invite you to turn with me this morning to Psalm 92. Psalm 92. We will not be looking at the entire psalm. I know that for sure. So we'll read verses 1 through 9. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. It is said of the 18th century British preacher Matthew Henry that after being robbed, he wrote in his diary, quote, Let me be thankful first, because I was never robbed before. Although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, and not someone else. End quote. In scripture, we have roughly 180 references to thanksgiving, all of which cite God as the one to whom thanksgiving is to be rendered. And Psalm 92 is one of the many portions of scripture which embraces this subject of thanksgiving. And with this psalm as the basis for our study this morning, there are two main headings under which We want to discuss this matter of giving thanks to the Lord. First of all, the warrant for thanksgiving. The warrant for thanksgiving. In other words, the question, what is the justification, the rationale for rendering thanks to God? And first of all, as suggested by the psalmist, the warrant for thanksgiving is this. It is commanded by God. As established in the word of God, it is the express command and will of God that we give him thanks. In fact, numerous times throughout the scriptures, we are commanded to thank and praise the Lord. Psalm 50 and verse 4 says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. We read in Psalm 107, verses 21 and 22, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. 
Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Skip over to the New Testament and we hear the Apostle Paul urging young Timothy, a pastor at Ephesus, to teach his congregation to thank the Lord. First of all, then, he writes, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And writing to the Colossian Christians, he declares in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. These and many other scriptures highlight the need for us to give God thanks. And these and many other scriptures underscore the truth that our giving thanks to God is not a matter of mere option. Rather, it is an obligation we have before God. It is not simply a question as to whether we desire to give God thanks. We are, in fact, it is our bound duty to do so. And the truth, beloved, is this, whether we are up to it or not, based on the suggestion of Scripture, whether or not we are in the mood, we are obliged to give God thanks. We may not feel like praising Him, we may not feel like thanking Him, or circumstances may not seem to warrant giving thanks to God. Nevertheless, the Word of God commands us to do so. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, here the Apostle Paul, in everything, or rather, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The warrant for thanksgiving, first of all, then, is this. It is commanded by God. But second, as regards the warrant for thanksgiving, and here's where we come closer to our text. In fact, we begin by looking now, it is this, it is commended by God. Number one, it's commanded by God, but here in our text, verse one, it is commended by God. Notice what the psalmist says here in verse one. Our text asserts, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Of course, the question is, in what sense is it good to thank the Lord? Well, we could think of its being good from the standpoint of the spiritual benefits it provides us. You see, thanksgiving to God has a way of inspiring hope and courage in the face of challenges and difficulties. We see this in the case of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 28, verse 15. We are told that when he saw certain brethren, and considering all that Paul had been through, Paul, even as he met these brethren, was in trouble with the Roman government. And the Bible tells us he thanked God and took courage. Our giving thanks to God, beloved, keeps us from materialistic and idolatrous concerns. It keeps us from becoming materialistic. It keeps us from becoming idolatrous. Why? Because we focus more on the creator than on the creature when we are giving God thanks. A spirit of thanksgiving, we would say, is a preventative also against ungodliness and unholiness. In fact, Paul, in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and, follow, 21 and following, cites the fact that the heart, the heart of human depravity is the sin of ingratitude. 
That's where the sin of humanity lies. It is in the sin of ingratitude because men did not honor God nor glorify him as God, Paul says. They sank into all kinds of debased thinking and living. They did not honor God nor give thanks to him, Scripture says. And in consequence, what occurred as far as their Delving further and further in sin was concerned, among other sins, lust, greed, shameless sexual perversion, envy, murder, deceit, maliciousness, and every other form of sin. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and following. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, Paul predicts how that in the last days, people would be what? Ungrateful and unholy. Notice how he links the two. Ungrateful and unholy. Second, it is good to give God thanks to the Lord from the standpoint of its pleasantness, from the standpoint of its delightfulness. The psalmist says, for example, in Psalm 147 and verse 1, it is good to sing praises to our God for it is pleasant. In other words, it's a delightful thing. It is a pleasing thing to be in the presence of someone who is given to thanksgiving. We know what it is to be around people who are always murmuring, complaining, bickering. We can hardly stand being around them. What we want, as soon as possible, to get out of they reach right away we sense the ugliness, the bitterness of a life that is devoid of thanksgiving. But how pleasant a thing it is, how inspiring it is when we're around those who are given to a spirit of thanksgiving even when things are not going right. It's like one dear sister in our church, um, she would be going through a lot and, uh, you know, talking to her, she would say, Pastor, it's okay. Thank the Lord. What a blessing. What a blessing. And then thirdly, it is good to give God thanks from the standpoint of its appropriateness. The fact that it is fitting, it is fitting and proper to do so. Again, Psalm 147 verse 1, praise the Lord for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Now, this seems to be the sense in which the psalmist uses the word good in this passage. He's saying it's a fitting thing to do, it's the right thing to do, it's the proper thing to do. And generally speaking, we could say that thanksgiving is a proper thing for us to engage in. Why? Because thanksgiving is the very heart of what it means to worship God. Here's what the psalmist says, for example, in Psalm 50 and verse 23. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Thanksgiving is part and parcel of what it means to worship God. Now here in Psalm 92, we're given various reasons. The psalmist gives us various reasons as to why it is a good thing to give thanks 
to the Lord. Why? It is the right and proper thing for us to thank the Lord. It is proper. It is fitting. Why? Because of who God is and because of what he has done. This is what he seems to be saying throughout the psalm. God is to be praised. It is good to praise God because of who he is and because of what he has done. First of all, he suggests that it is fitting, it is proper to give God thanks because of his sovereignty. Look at the B part of verse 1. Says the psalmist, he says there, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. The term by which he addresses God there, the Hebrew is El Elyon. It was a name by which God was addressed by Abraham, who recognized him when he met Melchizedek. He recognized God, who had helped him in the battle, fought on behalf of Lot against the Kedar Leomar and his confederate kings. He says, I have raised my hand to God Most High. That term means possessor of heaven and earth. Most High contemplates God in his capacity as the sovereign, supreme, exalted God of heaven and earth. It means he is king of kings, lord of lords, by virtue of which he is in control of all things, of all peoples, of all entities. And that would mean he is in charge, he is in control of even those challenges, those Difficulties that threaten our sense of security, our sense of well-being. He's in control of those oppressive, depressing circumstances that drive us to fear and anxiety. You know what I'm talking about, especially in these days in which we live. There are many Christians, my friends, who are living in fear, in perplexity, in dis-ease, in angst, and here's the point. The good news is that God, Most High, is sovereign over all the earth, over all entities. Here's the point. Even the forces of hell are under his subjection, the Word of God teaches. Principalities and powers being subject to him, Paul says in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21. In fact, if you look at verses 6 through 9, you see the sovereignty of God at work. The fact that as Most High, He is the moral, judicial governor of the universe. Verses 6 through 9 make it clear that as the Most High, the sovereign, supreme Lord of all the earth, He will vanquish, He will triumph over all the wicked of this world. Look at what he says there in verses 6 through 9. The stupid man cannot know. You see how God characterizes the wicked of this world? He says they're stupid. My, if you want to see stupidity in our world, look at the arrogance. Look at the claims that some are making today in terms of their, you hear them talk about elitists. People today, my friends, of all kinds of grandiose agenda for the taking over 
of this world. And the point is, history shows, the record of history shows that that is near impossible. In fact, there's going to come a time indeed when there's going to be a world ruler. And we know what that is going to be like, Revelation chapter 13, where this person is going to unleash all his fury, all his wrath. But here's the point. He does so only because he's under divine sovereignty, because he's under God's control. Here's what verses 6 through 9 says. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. Beloved, what a great assurance we have. That even when evil men and evil deeds and their evil men with their evil works seem to be winning the day, at the end of the day, our God sits supreme in the heavens. Our God is a sovereign, almighty God. And here's the point. He has them covered. He knows exactly their end. Why? Because he himself will see to their sure defeat. And that is something to be thankful about. Evil will not have the last say. Evil will not win at the end of the day. At the end of the day, God, the sovereign ruler, the most high, will have the last word. His will, his way, will prevail over the entire earth. For that, we ought to be thankful So it is fitting and proper to thank God, first of all, because of his sovereignty. Second, it is fitting and proper to thank God because of his sustaining grace. Look at verse 2. We notice here at verse 2, the psalmist was ever grateful. He was ever filled with praise to the Lord for his steadfast love and faithfulness. He reveled in the thought that the God whom he knew, the God whom he served, was the covenant-keeping Lord, the one whose love was unconditional and whose word was unfailing. That's what he means when he says, when he speaks of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love, in the Hebrew it is chesed, which is covenant faithfulness. It means that because God has bound himself in covenant with his people, he will be God for them. He will always work on their behalf for good and not for evil. His faithfulness means that whatever he utters by way of promise, he will surely fulfill. He's a God who is trustworthy. He's a God who is reliable. He's a God whose word will never fail. And we recall this combination of the Lord's steadfast love and faithfulness from Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22. 
Because there in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, the prophet Jeremiah, as he looked at the whole problem of human depravity, human sinfulness, and as he looked even at the people of God prone to sin as they were, here's what he said. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We know it. By another version, the King James Version, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his faithfulness, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And what the psalmist is suggesting here, beloved, is this, that it is in view of who God is in terms of his covenant faithfulness, in view of his covenant loyalty, that we are preserved from the wrath of God, from the judgment of God. Beloved, how continually thankful you and I need to be for the grace of God that saves us, yes, but also for the steadfast love and faithfulness of God that sustains us. You know something? God, by his grace, saved us. We were wretched. We were lost. The truth is, even though saved by grace, listen to what the songwriter says, and it's true in your life and mine. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Read Romans chapter 7, and you notice that even though saved, here was Paul talking about the reality of indwelling sin. And here's the truth, left to ourselves, if it were left up to us, we would have already been lost, would have already lost our salvation, but because of God's faithfulness, because of God's steadfast love, because of his covenant faithfulness to us, we are not consumed, we are not destroyed. Why? Because his faithfulness does not fail. That's something to be thankful for. That's something to certainly rejoice about. And we ought to be thankful for the sovereignty of God. We ought to be thankful for his sustaining grace. But notice thirdly, we should be, it is a good thing to give thanks to God. Why? Because of the satisfaction he affords. Note verse 4, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. You may be glad by the work of your hands, the works of your hands. Well, the question is, what are the works of God's hands? Because he pluralizes the word work here. It's not just one particular work. What are the works of God's hands that make us glad? Can you think of them? First of all, there's the work of creation. There's the work of creation. And God's work of creation, beloved, makes us glad by doing us good, Acts chapter 14, verse 17, satisfying our hearts with all that is conducive to our happiness and our well-being. When God created this earth, this world, this earth, and he looked and he said, yes, it's very good. He created all that was useful, all that was beneficial for man's well-being. He says it is very good. 
Think of the things you and I enjoy today. We enjoy. Many of us are going home. Most if not all of us are going home today. To a, Well, it's, I'm, I'm thinking ahead. It's next week. Thanksgiving. Big holiday. We are, we are going to be having what? Lavish tables, many of us. Good food. That's one of the blessings of God's creation. The Bible tells us he does us good, satisfying our hearts with all that is conducive to our happiness and well-being. What other work has God done? The work of redemption. The work of redemption. The work of redemption through our Lord Jesus is a work of God's hands which make us glad, particularly as we contemplate what we have been redeemed from. Beloved, do you know what you have been saved from? We have been saved from the wrath of God. We were lost, the Bible teaches. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were wretched. We were filthy. And yet the Bible says, But God, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive together in Christ. That ought to make us glad. What other work of his hands can we rejoice in? There's the work of creation. There's the work of redemption. But, oh, beloved, the work of divine providence. The work of divine providence is yet another work that makes us glad. And when we talk about God's providence, what are we talking about? The fact that God orders and he orchestrates all events, all peoples, all situations, and he melds them together so that they work for our good. They work for the good of those who love God. It means that all the bitter experiences of life, bitter as they might be, come by his divine ordering. And when we think of the end product, what God is doing, even through the pain, even through the sorrows, the distresses of life, God is working all things together for the good of his people. And so here are three aspects of God's works which furnish us with grounds for giving God thanks and for rejoicing in him. Oh, you and I need to be thankful for his work of creation, how we need to be thankful for his work of redemption, and how we need to be thankful for his work of providence. It is fitting and proper to give God thanks. Why? Because of his sovereignty. He rules in heaven and earth. He's going to put down wickedness. He's going to put down wicked men. It is good to give God thanks because of his sustaining grace. That grace, that mercy, that faithfulness, that covenant loyalty, whereby he doesn't destroy us and wipe us out. And we sin against him. It is good and fitting to thank God because of the satisfaction he affords. But notice, fourthly, it is proper and is fitting to give God thanks. It is good to give God thanks because of his sublimity. What are we talking about? His sublimity. That is to say, beloved, the sheer grandeur, the sheer grandeur, greatness, and wonder of his deeds 
and works. Look at what the psalmist says in verse 5. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. You know how I translate that? And I tell you how I'd like to translate that in today's term. One of the things I like to hear American young people say when something is really, when something really hits home, they say, man, that's awesome. <laughs> Are you here to, that's awesome, dude. <laughs> and the psalmist here is enraptured by the sublimity, God's sublimity. The sheer grandeur and wonder of his works. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. Go back to his various works, the work of creation. And surely creation evokes great awe and wonder. Why? Because Psalm tells us in Psalm 19 verse 1, the heavens are telling, they are declaring the glory of God. What is the glory of God? The weightiness of God, the heaviness of God, the majesty of God, the grandeur of God. The psalmist says in Psalm 8, he says, when I behold your heavens, the moon and the stars which you have made. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? He says, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. His work of creation evokes awe and wonder. But then his work of salvation also awakens awe and wonder and adoration. Here, for example, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11, 33 to 36, as he surveys the vastness of God's redemptive activity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, the Apostle Paul, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom, and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has been given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is enraptured at the thought of redeeming grace. The apostle Peter, we hear him in 1 Peter chapter 1, blessed eulogetos, eulogetos, eulogize be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has begotten us again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And if we stop to think of it, my friends, what God saved us from, who we are by virtue of God's saving grace, and more so what we are going to be, then I tell you this, that's cause for shouting glory, hallelujah. The Apostle John says, beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Listen, that's cause for rejoicing. 
For light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far greater and exceeding weight of glory. While we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are not seen are eternal. My friends, when we stop to think of these truths, they enrapture our hearts and impel us. Yes, they compel us to thank and praise Almighty God. And so I ask the question this morning, beloved, do we, like the psalmist, take time out to ponder the greatness of God's work and the depths of his thoughts? What great material these provide us for great gratitude and for praise to Almighty God? Well, we have looked at the warrant for thanksgiving. Finally this morning, the way of thanksgiving. That is to say, the manner in which we should give God thanks. And again, the psalmist gives us useful instruction here. First of all, we should give thanks to the Lord frequently. We should give thanks to the Lord frequently. Notice in verse 2. That not just in a special day like we celebrate Thanksgiving Day, but what? Day and night, the psalmist says. Day and night, he would be thankful to the Lord. What this says to us, beloved, is this. That for the psalmist, even as it should be for you and me, Thanksgiving was an integral part of his life. His life was a life of continual unending gratitude to God. We could say for him that for the psalmist, thanksgiving became a matter of thanksgiving. We might be engaged in thanksgiving during this season, but the question is, is our life marked by thanksgiving? Are we living lives of gratitude, lives of thanksgiving, to God. We should give thanks to the Lord frequently. The psalmist says in verse 2, he says this. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. What is he saying there? Continually. I'll be praising and thanking God. At all times, I'll be thanking God. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20 says that we are to be giving thanks to God always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians three seventeen, And whatever you do in word or deed or do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Psalm 30 verses 11 you have, and 12, you have turned for me. My mourning into dancing, you have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. Forever. And then Psalm 119, uh, 62, here's what the psalmist resolved to do. He says, at midnight, I shall rise to praise you because of your Righteous rules. 
New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, we see the same idea that thanksgiving to God, praise to God, is to be frequent, is to be continual, because he says, through him, that is through our Lord Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, that acknowledge his name. Thanksgiving is to be frequent. It is to be constant. We're to be thanking God always. Why? Because never for a moment are we without the mercies of God. Daily he loads us with benefits, the psalmist tells us. Never for one moment do we cease being the recipients, the beneficiaries of his bounties and his grace. It's like the songwriter puts it like this. He says, morning by morning new mercies I see. All have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Another songwriter says, With numberless blessings each moment he crowns, and filled with his goodness divine. We ought never to tire of thanking God, of praising God. John Calvin well notes, he says this, we can never lack reason for praising God unless laziness sets in. He says that if we are to be truly thankful to the Lord, we must ever work at it since, quote, his goodness and his faithfulness are incessant, end quote. Notice what he says there. We can never lack reason for praising God unless laziness sets in. Those are not his exact words, but I'm paraphrasing. Now, giving God thanks continually necessarily means giving God thanks unconditionally. Think of it. If we are to be ever thanking God, if we are to be continually thanking God, frequently thanking God, it necessarily means that we must thank him unconditionally. So that First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This means that in circumstances where we're inclined to be anxious, we are to be thankful. Are you inclined to be anxious? Those are the times to be thankful. When our way seems dark and distressing, in seasons of disappointment, we are to be thankful. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard, shall garrison your minds through Christ Jesus. The point here is that in the act of thanksgiving, Anxiety is going to be resolved. Why? Because being God-focused, thanksgiving, sees by faith the all-powerful God at work already addressing those matters that concerns us. So even though we have not yet received the mercies, the blessings, thanksgiving by its very nature relieves anxiety. Why? Because it's God-focused. And it accepts as a given that which is not yet received. And then finally, not only should we thank God frequently, it is good to thank God frequently, but we should give thanks to the Lord fervently. We should give thanks to the Lord fervently. That is with intensity of expression. 
How do we do that? The psalmist tells us. He says we are to do so by means of singing and the playing of instruments. Look at verses 1, 3, and 4. Twice he speaks of singing, and he talks about in the playing of instruments. And throughout the Old Testament, particularly the salt, a melody, both vocal and instrumental, play a vital role in the worship of God. In the days of his reign, for example, David, think of this, David, appointed among the Levites individuals whose function, whose sole task was to do nothing but thank and praise the Lord with singing and the playing of instruments. Come over to the New Testament, and there we see the importance that God places to singing, to singing in worship. In Ephesians 5, 19 and 20, Paul instructs the Ephesian Christians, he says they are to address one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. He tells them similarly in Colossians three sixteen and 17, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Here it comes with thankfulness in your hearts to God at whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here it comes, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And if there's one thing we can say about singing is this, that it has a sanctifying effect upon the soul. Singing, beloved, as a way of solidifying the truths of God's word upon our hearts and minds, making those truths real to us. The act of singing to the Lord inspires the heart and the mind to richer, deeper engagement with God. It's good to give thanks to the Lord because of who he is. It's good to give thanks to the Lord because of what he's done. Who is he? He's the sovereign God. You should praise him, thank him because of his sovereignty, because of his sublimity. The sheer grandeur of who he is obliges us to thank him, to praise him. May God help us to this end, for his name's sake. Amen.